Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about Lucy in the Sky, which is a, well, last year's sci-fi film starring Natalie Portman and John Hamm that nobody saw, which is kind of weird because it's, it's, it's pretty grand for a two-hour film. Uh, we're also going to look at 1987's Raising Arizona, the OG Coen Brothers film that they did right after Blood Simple. We're going to talk about HBO Max because we watched that. We also are going to talk about some news, but first things first, Andy, how's life in quarantine? Are you, are you over it yet? I heard you're going back to work. Well, yeah, uh, yesterday was my first day back in the office after two and a half months of work from home. Uh, I had no traffic, uh, no, no parking issues. It was really easy to uh, to get to work. Um, the, I do have to go through kind of a sign-in and check-in process so we can check who's going in and out of the building um and they're and they're also doing renovations so it's kind of complicated there but it was it was good to get out um strange i I feel like my allergies are kicking off something crazy but uh, i'm surviving i've survived the outside world yeah i'm i'm pretty much in the same boat things are starting to pick back up uh despite the numbers i guess i did go get a haircut uh i I thought about getting ready for the show and actually like trying to comb this and then just decided i wasn't going to do that i don't want anybody to have any (laughs) I don't want anybody to think that I actually am really invested in this thing. Yeah, but it's not about us. It's about the movies, and that's what we need to talk about. Our first story this week, uh, Hulu is launching an official watch party feature. Uh, now, you... No way I found this article. Damn it, I was going to pin this on you. Like Andy knows something about this, uh, but it was me. So, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, there's been this watch party thing happening behind the scenes with a Netflix app that we've been playing around with. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, but fun- fundamentally what it is is you log into your Netflix account and you can generate a link using a third-party application to send to other people Netflix accounts so you can all sync up and watch movies at the same time with a chat box feature. It's actually really cool. We've tried it for the, for the show and it, it's really really effective you can listen to a review from that a few episodes back and at the time i said netflix should work this into their platform twitch is a thing now people watch video game streams and chat about them they should do this with movies that would make sense uh and those cries did not go unheard because the good folks at hulu who obviously listen to our program decided they were going to get into this uh andy you recently used netflix netflix party just the other day (laughs) that's right What what do you think about this so yes, Netflix party is a lot of fun. I, you and I have done it, and I've done it with a lot of other friends. It's really en- enjoyable, and it works really pretty smoothly. Um, and the Hulu version works works similarly, where you have to watch Hulu through the browser. It does it doesn't work on like your native app, so you have to be logged in on a computer. But then you can sync up with other people. But there, the other catch is is. All parties involved have to be subscribed to the ad free version, so the kind of more expensive tier. Yes. Uh, this also doesn't seem to have anything like images. I don't think you can share links, um, but it's at its most basic, the same as what Netflix party is now, which is kind of cool. Like, I still think there's a lot of viability for this on mainstream platforms, and obviously Hulu agrees. I don't know if they're directly influenced by Netflix party, but it's certainly coincidental. It's definitely convenient that like we hear headlines about Netflix party a month ago, and now Hulu is putting this in some kind of beta program. As far as I can tell, it's only limited to certain programs uh, that they offer, certain shows and movies. It's not everything. And again, like Andy said, you have to have the ad-free version, and everybody else who's watching with you has to have the ad-free version. So, you're all playing play- paying premium tier for this premium service but i still think this is a really cool idea i don't think anybody else has actually integrated into this into their platform yet yeah it's a lot of fun amazon has done something similar where you can if someone streams through twitch you can 
get a party going like that. And I think HBO is trying to develop something similar. So there's definitely demand for this, but it's going to be interesting to see how, how it actually rolls out. Yeah, it really is. Uh, so we'll keep it here on Offscript for more, and we'll let you know uh, what's happening. I guess we'll probably try. Oh, I don't know if you have the ad-free version of Hulu, but we should try it at some point. That's something we do on the show. Like we tried HBO Max, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Uh, before we get to that, though, our next story... A Sonic sequel is in the works at Paramount. Yes, our favorite blue hedgehog is getting another movie, which um, may not be such a bad thing. Andy, what do you know about this? So after its huge success of making over $300 million um, in its release and even more on video on, premium video on demand, Sonic is getting a sequel. And what's impressive about that, even more so, is that Sonic wasn't released in a lot of major markets like uh, because it came out right before the quarantine and so it didn't come out in places like uh, Asia or some European markets. So it did really well on a limited market, so it's definitely getting a sequel. It's hard not to see that they were kind of scoping this out from the beginning, right? Based just on, like, the character reboot they did. Because for anybody who doesn't remember when Sonic the Hedgehog originally came out with the trailer, uh, the internet flipped out over the original design of the Sonic the Hedgehog character, and Paramount went back to the drawing board and reworked the character in the film and paid, like, hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't know. A lot of money. Millions of dollars, definitely, to rework the character in the film to get it to where we're at now. It was a big investment based on immediate feedback of haters on the internet, which is not something (laughs) studios normally do. But they did. They really sunk for this one. And it worked. And a ton of people went and saw it. It is now the highest grossing video game film of all time. So... With the track record like that, and obviously some investment from the studio, of course they're going to do another one, right? Like, no surprise. Yeah, absolutely. You got something that did really well financially, was well-received, critically received, uh, and like I said, came out right before uh, the quarantine. And also, the the video-on-demand success is not to be overlooked either. This is the big question, because you have a a high-value property that made lots of money in theaters, and then not long after, I mean, maybe a month at most after made an additional $40 million on rental. To me, that's that's an almost even bigger story because that's an argument for the studios to start closing that release window. Yeah, definitely. Uh, real quick for anybody who didn't see it and might have missed our review, Andy, just like a quick hot take review of Sonic the Hedgehog. Good, bad, worth your time? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. It is a kid's film, so it definitely caters to that audience, but it had good effects. Uh, It was funny. It had a lot of jokes for adults. It did have some weird product placement, um, but it was a quick 90 minutes and a lot of fun. Yeah, same boat. It's actually not that bad. If you haven't seen it, you might be surprised how much you enjoy it. Jim Carrey is pretty good in it. And we should move on to our last story. Uh, Another one about an animal character. Uh, (laughs) Ryan Gosling to play the Wolfman. At Universal, I'm baffled by this story, and I didn't find this. Andy did, so he can actually take this one. What do you know about this, Andy? So after the success of The Invisible Man, which actually came out around the same time that Sonic did, uh, right before quarantine, uh, it made a huge amount of money, Invisible Man. It made $100 million off a $7 million budget and effectively revived this whole dark universe or monster movie universe that Universal's been trying to get off the ground for some time now. Now, we did hear some some rumors that a Dracula movie is going to be made, uh, kind of in the traditional sense, and it seems like the Wolfman will kind of, you know, a werewolf movie starring Ryan Gosling is also in the works within that same universe. It's really, it's really something else. I guess the first thing that surprises me about this is 
number one, that the Universal monster movie universe is still happening. Like, I thought the Dark Universe thing died with the mummy, right? Tom, Tom Cruise is the mummy, and apparently not. Secondly, that Ryan Gosling is even remotely interested in being a part of it. Ryan Gosling is, is an A-list <laughs> star, all right? He doesn't need a, a monster movie universe. You don't see him in Marvel films, like, and there's a reason, because he doesn't need a movie universe. He does, he does fine art house cinema pictures, bold cinema. Ryan Gosling is an actor of and suddenly he's he's entertaining the idea of playing the Wolfman who also by the way is a very aggressive character at least in some <laughs> aspects and suddenly cool Ryan Gosling is going to play he's got the hots for the he's, Wolfman he's going to sit there and not speak for long times like yes. he's going to have the most mellowed out change right and I, I wonder if that's kind of what's going on here a little bit of like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde right when he's not the wolf man he's like a super chill cool Ryan Gosling <laughs> yeah. maybe like some kind of scientist or something that wears goofy glasses but when he is the wolf man that CGI steps in for him and does all the heavy lifting doesn't have to worry about it right that's right. what I'm afraid of anyway <laughs> what, do, what do you think this is going to look like so a couple of things here. So first of all, when when we or when Universal kind of re- tried to restart this monster mu- movie universe, they took a much different approach. You know, instead of getting big stars and trying to essentially be the monster movie version of the Avengers, they said, okay, let's let let's go smaller. Let's let the directors have story driven, character driven films, kind of like an independent film, but in the monster, but of a monster movie of these traditional characters. And again, the first one was very successful. Invisible man. We saw it was, it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. And this is going to be in that same vein. So I I imagine it's going to be smaller budget. It's going to be more, like you said, character driven. It's going to be modern and it'll be interesting to see what it's actually about because again, the invisible man um, ended up being a lot about um, kind of domestic violence and actually being a lot about that issue. And so it'd be interesting to see kind of what the wolf man winds up actually being about. Yeah. And I think that's probably what's got some kind of confidence in it for me. Like invisible man was incredibly low budget and played incredibly straight and dealt with a very serious topic. And like, really the invisible man isn't even the subject of the film, the invisible man. It's the people around him that are affected by him. And I wonder with an approach like that, you might, you might have a Ryan Gosling worthy picture, I guess. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, Gosling's next project will be an untitled astronaut film. That's being directed by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, the directors of the Lego film, probably something like first man, maybe not though. Uh, and that's what he'll be doing next. Keep it here on off script for more about the <laughs> universal monster movie universe, the dark universe, whatever they're going to call it, because I'm fascinated to see where that yeah. thing goes next. But to, you're, you're right though. I have a hard time really picturing it, but yes. I'm going to anxious to see what it's going to be like. Yeah. Like I said before the show, like after Heath Ledger played Joker, I, anybody can play anything i'm convinced i you, you who who knows what what ryan gosling could do with the wolfman character i guess we'll have to see uh with that we should move on to our first review of the episode andy has graciously agreed to take the summary on this one andy please take it away lucy in the sky lucy time to wrap it up just a few more minutes so this is the latest film from director Noah Hawley. Uh, this film came out in 2019, stars Natalie Portman and John Hamm. Natalie Portman plays astronaut Lucy Cola, who's a hardworking uh, Southern gal who's recently been up to space and had this kind of incredible experience looking over the Earth, seeing the sunrise. And when she comes back down to Earth, she's just not quite the same. And she 
has a difficult time adjusting to life. And this isn't like a, a sci-fi uh, situation. She just can't get uh, used to just how small things are on Earth. Like everything seems smaller. Her job seems smaller. Her marriage seems smaller. Everything kind of seems a little pointless after being in space. And so she then tries to desperately desperately get back on the next mission and her life begins to slowly unravel um so that's our setup what do you think uh i actually liked a lot of this movie uh it's a real mixed bag and that's kind of what i think will make for an entertaining review before we really jump into it because i think there's a lot of this movie that's like really well done and a lot of it that's like amateur hour it felt like this movie <laughs> was made by two different people like like a group project in school where like 90% of it, they know what they're doing and they're on it. And the other 10 is like, did totally phoned it in, didn't do the work. It's really strange. And I want to talk about it because there's a lot that's really cool and a lot that isn't. Andy, what did you think about this movie? I, re- I'm, I feel similarly. I really liked parts of it. I think the setup is is really interesting. And also this is based loosely on on some real events involving real astronauts. There was uh, some sort of love love triangle involving three astronauts several years ago that was in the headlines. So this is inspired, but in no way really based on on those events. Um, the, again, there are some good things. There are some incredible visuals. I wish that I had seen this in the theater because uh, I would definitely uh, benefit from, from a lot of the visuals. And I like the setup and they're good performances. I feel like the film kind of loses its way about two thirds of the way in. Um, but there's some good and bad. Yeah, so let's just kind of jump right into it. Where do you think is the first place to really start talking about this film? Um, I w- well, I want to talk about some of the visuals. Uh, so w- when I we agree, f- yeah. When we first meet uh, Lucy, she's in in space. She's on a spacewalk, and she's everything is just larger in life. And on the the screen, we see the screen ratio change a lot. And that's indicative of a lot of things. But when we're in space, and when things are kind of at their biggest and best, the screen is completely filled up with pictures of the spacecraft of the Earth of the sun of when Lucy's training. And a lot of this is CG, because they obviously couldn't get access to (laughs) to like NASA facilities, but uh, it's still really convincing. And that looks really good. And then you get a lot of kind of surreal imagery of when Lucy is on earth, but she's kind of daydreaming about being back up in the sky. Yeah. Uh, just to kind of underline the visuals a little bit. Uh, if you're watching us live on Facebook or watching the recording after the fact on YouTube, you can see the trailer that we're playing now and get an idea of that changing aspect ratio. And that's a very important part of the film. And I don't really understand why it's important. I think I get conceptually why it's important, but what that means for anybody who doesn't know what the changing aspect ratio is, When you watch a movie in IMAX, right, you get a film that's like the whole screen and you might get like some black bars along the top and bottom because it's even whiter than the screen presented. When you watch a movie like The Lighthouse, your movie's in something like four by three, so it's square and you get black bars on the side of the screen. This movie bounces around and and it does it between scene transitions. So some shots will be widescreen, others will be square and it kind of moves around. And I think that's like you said, to highlight the surreal kind of feelings of Lucy and how she's perceiving the world um, in this kind of box approach. But really, it wasn't super clear what was going on there. And it kind of just distracted me. But maybe on another watch, I'd feel differently. I do love the larger-than-life presentation of the opening of this film, the way she sees Earth. It just it opens on the spacewalk. And that's such a great spot to start a movie about a woman who goes on a spacewalk and it changes her. Like, just start there, right? Like, start with the goods. And that's great. And when she gets back down to Earth, everything feels a little less 
powerful because she's seen something else. She's changed. Uh, and, and I thought that was really cool. That's, that's elaborated a lot more in the plot. There's a lot of drone shots or top down shots from far away, which is if somebody is looking down from the heavens, down from the sky, from orbit, maybe, which are really clever. And there's a lot of sequences that are really smart. A lot of astronaut tests with like G's and going underwater and some cool things there that are really creative inside this NASA compound that's seemingly endless and has all these different halls and corridors and lights and, and all that stuff's really effective. Like the visuals, of this movie play great. The, the aspect ratio thing was confusing, but I think you can get past that. Yeah. So, and to explain that a little bit further, like I said, when, when the screen is at its biggest is when Lucy is, I, I feel it reflects her feelings. Like that's when she feels the biggest, like when she's above the earth or when she's training, it's when she feels really fulfilled. And when the screen gets smaller, like sometimes it gets in that four by three ratio, which is nearly square. That's when she begins to be frustrated. You know, when she's at home and kind of her, she's married to a good man, but kind of a dull man. And you can tell she's not really happy about it. And then there's other parts, you know, when she's, kind of has to get in line with every all the other astronauts or you know when she kind of doesn't get a, a certain promotion that she's expecting to get everything kind of gets smaller and then we we have a really weird ratio and i would have to look up where it's r- completely wide but it's really short you know right um, it's like extreme wide or something yeah yeah uh, but but those those are meant to kind of express her her feelings is what i felt they were going for there I do want to talk about the color in the visuals a little bit. This movie's a little, maybe a little oversaturated. It's stylized, uh-huh. I think, but it reminds me a little bit of like a Michael Bay film with like the oranges and the blues turned way up. It's a little bit, it's not quite as neon as those, but like the browns and the blues are really, really loud in this movie. And I think that's to really exemplify the colors of Earth, right? From space, the the water and the land. Maybe that's what they were going for here, but... It comes, it's stylized, sure, but it also makes some things, like the sets they shoot on, the house set in particular, I think, it makes it look a little cheap from a lighting perspective, a little low budget. Now, the stuff, again, in NASA, the tests, the space stuff, all looks great, but other parts of the film just don't shine as much for it, so it was a a weird choice stylistically. It's bold, but it doesn't actually bring a lot to the table, I don't think. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do want to talk about uh, the plot a little bit and kind of some themes and what's going on in there. Uh, Andy, I already talked a bunch and you already <laughs> sure, gave a sure. plot rundown. So get, please t- take this football away from me. So so part of what the film is about is, again, it's it's about perspective. You know, what once was great now seems small. And after, and that's the whole thing. She gets, She's in space. She's seen, you know, life completely different from anyone else um hardly anyone else and and she just has a trouble uh readjusting and and then also plays into another theme of kind of rebirth there's this whole like butterfly uh you know caterpillar chrysalis thing uh theme that happens and that we see that actually displayed in actual butterflies but it's also it becomes kind of uh corrupted along the way and i i think that she feels that she's turning into something better almost like better i'm better yeah. than everyone else because i've been to space and uh she is one it seems like she's wanting to re- experience some sort of rebirth but it's not really like she thinks it's gonna be yeah our, our plot is driven around our character lucy who is for all intents and purposes a genius who has never gotten a b on a test and never done anything wrong in her life and has worked harder and harder and harder every single day to get where she wants to go and it seems like ultimately the, the one of the flaws of their character is she never really had 
that place. She never knew where she wanted to go. She just knew she had to work harder and harder and harder. And she has this character who is her aunt, I believe, uh, who is very encouraging of that. They have this strange kind of way of, of speaking to each other, engaging each other, where they're constantly pushing each other to work harder. You have to work more. You have to work harder. That's the answer to everything. Work, 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 work. So when she gets up to space at the beginning of the film and, and sees the planet and suddenly has this like turn of a moment, she becomes this entirely new character because suddenly working harder is not like the goal. The goal is some weird far off feeling she's now felt, which is strange to her. So when she gets back to earth, she has all of these moments where she says something along the lines of like, I, I lost myself up there, you know, and I'm some, I'm somebody different now. And her husband says, you know, I, you're not really home yet. And like, they, there's this really cool, like illusion of like character change in there that I think is really smart. But at the same time, when the character doesn't understand themselves. I think it's difficult for the audience to understand the character. And a lot of times, if you don't understand why the main character is maybe lying to her husband or cheating at work or or doing things that are kind of wrong in a general sense, it makes their, it just makes them feel like a bad person and not like a person that's motivated by, by the actions around them. She does things in this movie that I just feel like, you know, she's just kind of a bad person. Like she's not crazy. She's just mean, you know, (laughs) and really she is kind of crazy. And that's the point that you see this thing of this, this site uh, of, of the planet and it changes who you are fundamentally. And like, I think that's really powerful, but like the way she, the way her actions are presented in the larger story just kind of makes her seem like 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 just a bad bad person i think did you get yeah. that am i crazy no i i completely agree and i think that is a major flaw of this movie is it plays into the really kind of negative stereotype of like hysterical women or a woman can't lead because she's too emotional you know um and i don't i don't know if it meant to do that or but i it inadvertently kind of plays in that stereotype and the thing is it is based on real events where there was like some really outrageous behavior by astronauts who are really highly educated highly trained highly motivated people um so it does have some basis in in reality but it it is real problematic and again just the the hubris of it the thing i've been to space i'm better than you i've been to space so my like i i deserve a better man (laughs) to be married to a better man that kind of thing yeah and like i don't know maybe i'm i don't know if she ever explicitly says that but it definitely feels that way like it just there's just this feeling of superiority over the whole thing which makes her difficult difficult to connect to as a character and you end up feeling like she's mean and vindictive and and you don't really sympathize with her a whole lot so towards the third act when things start to really come off the come come off the wheels hinges rails trying to say yeah there you go um you just feel disconnected but i do we do need to talk about the acting i think that's really important yeah absolutely Uh, yeah uh, i think the acting in this film is actually really good um natalie portman is a little, a little more hit than miss. I think there's some scenes that don't work with her. I think there's some scenes that land great. Uh, John Hamm is fantastic in this movie, but I love that guy and he's great <laughs> in everything. And I won't, ha- I won't hear any any discourse about him whatsoever. Um, Tig Notaro is in this film, and also I forget the name of the dude. Who's uh, <laughs> in a well, Hulu. I was going to say Ellen. There's a couple other appearances. Nick Offerman is in this film. There's a couple other minor appearances. Uh, Zazie Beetz is also in this movie. Uh, For the most part, John Hamm and Natalie Portman are kind of our two, our two big characters, right? 
Yeah, uh, she does. She does a really great job. I feel like she she overdoes the accent a little bit. Like she does this super southern accent, and it doesn't like quite stay there all the time. So it it's kind of in and out. But her but her character. I mean, she does a great job playing this character of someone who's so determined to to succeed. She ends up being kind of her own method of of destruction. Um, and she's also in really good physical shape, which like you know astronauts ha- have to be in real real good physical shape as well. But she's like you know she's running a lot. She's got like shredded arms and all that yeah um john ham is good at being you know handsome john ham yeah um and that that's a, a kind of a little subplot or part of the movies that there's like this kind of club of of you know people at nasa who we've been to space and we hang out because we've been to space and now that right. you've been to space you can be part you can be with sit with the cool kids at lunch um which is becomes problematic later but yeah, he was really good. Ellen Bernstein plays uh, the grandmother, aunt, something, family member. What have, I, what have I seen her in? Why does she look uh, so right <laughs> Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, I knew it. I knew it was Requiem for a Dream when I was looking at her. I knew it. I knew it. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Hot hot take. She. It's the same character from Requiem for a Dream. It's very similar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so good, uh, good, good performances all, all around. Uh, like I said, Natalie Portman has has the meat of she's she pretty much has to carry the film and for the most part it works. Yeah, uh, John Hamm, you're right, plays very similar to like Don Draper. He's this character with the slick hair that looks great and's got got a big build and he kind of he kind of drinks at work and sleeps on his couch when nobody's looking, but he's great at his job, so nobody cares. Uh, Ellen Bernstein plays her character for Welcome to a Dream. That's correct. Uh, Natalie Portman, my my issue with her, uh, like I said, I think goes back to the writing and the character and the presentation. There's a lot of lines in this movie that she'll say that just don't land at all, especially uh, some scenes when she she starts doing this thing towards the end of the film where everything is like a mission yeah. in her head, right? Because everything is part, is, is part of this larger mission to get to space again. She wants to get back up there to feel this feeling that she felt, this feeling of elation. Um, and so she starts just saying things are like mission critical and like she starts using really like space lingo and NASA lingo in (laughs) her everyday everyday life. Yeah. yeah. And she's got this accent on top of it that it just does not feel sincere. She just sees, it sounds like she's just announcing to the room and, and that doesn't, that stuff doesn't work. In fact, I would wager based on seeing this film, maybe Natalie Portman just doesn't play great with dialogue. Hear me out. Think of a movie like... (laughs) Hear me out. Think of okay, a movie okay. like Thor, right? Totally just like... I can't remember. Exactly. You don't You don't think about it a lot. There's not a whole lot there. Now think of a movie like Annihilation, all right? Natalie Portman's real good. She's got some speaking scenes, but not a whole lot. Then you think of like Black Swan. Minimal dialogue, great Natalie Portman. There's a possibility Natalie Portman <laughs> plays better with facial emotion and physical emotion fewer lines. and physical Cut value, but fewer lines. And I don't know if that's true. But man, her accent in this movie, I think, actually kind of hurt the performance a little bit. Now, they are in some kind of like, I guess, Houston or Texas town or like Florida. I'm not even sure where they're yeah, at. Yeah, it's Houston. Yeah, it's that's Houston. where NASA is. Yeah, right. So it feels a lot like they're southern and down to earth. They live in plantation homes and like that's the setting and that totally fits her character. But she just doesn't quite pop off the way she needs to, and I think it hurts the film. And to, to speak to her credit, though, there are a lot of sequences of silent reflection <laughs> when she's not speaking, which are really good. And, and I mean that, actually. Like, some, some really incredible visuals, some, like, people mover stuff right out, of a, right out of a Spike Lee film. Like, there's some really good stuff in this movie that totally plays, but also stuff that falls a little flat. 
I feel like the third act is really where it kind of falls apart because the first two act deal with this question of what do you do when you've had a life altering experience or when life doesn't seem good enough anymore? And that's a really interesting question that never really gets answered because it just kind of devolves into, well, well, she's crazy. Well, women are crazy. She's hysterical. She can't, you know, like it's, it's kind of a really negative message and I'd, I'd like to do some more reading. I'd really like to get a woman's opinion on, on this film, but I, I feel like it, it kind of loses its way in the third act to, and, and it trades substance for action. Yes, uh, you're absolutely right. As this kind of downward spiral into becoming somebody else, like really evolves, Natalie Portman's character discovers that like maybe <laughs> through through like a series of kind of visions that aren't necessarily dreams. Like we never really figure out what's what's going on. Um, she kind of discovers like maybe maybe she's moving in the wrong direction. Like maybe this is bad and not good, you know. But she can't stop. She's on this roller coaster, and like she's she's just not the same anymore. And and like she she this thing just becomes a downward spiral, and things start to get crazier and crazier. And not only does the character unravel, like the filmmaking kind of unravels. And and I do want to talk about the directing a little bit. I did a little research. This film is directed by Noah Hawley, who is a name I knew I recognized, but I didn't know why. I, I you know, you might know Noah Hawley because he directed a good chunk of the first season of Fargo on television. Uh, he also directed uh, I forget the name of the other series, but what he's got coming up next, outside of those two series, this is this is his first feature. Next up, Noah Hawley, and this is where I know him from. He's the next director of the next Star Trek film, which is interesting. Because directors obviously draw on what they know to, to kind of influence their next picture, and this has a bit of space in it. It's not Star Trek-level space, but the visuals are strong. The character exchange, I think, is where Noah Hawley might need some help, and maybe that's just in the writing. But it's it's intriguing to think about, okay, take take this this director and drop him in Star Trek. Where do we go from there? You got any, any thoughts on that, Andy? I mean, I'm not a huge Star Trek fan, so okay. no, yeah. <laughs> not particularly. Um, like I said, I, I think this this film was well made, and it, it does have some really good... It has interesting characters and good visuals. It just kind of... I, I feel like just it doesn't quite stick the landing. Yeah, I'll have to look up some reviews and, and find out more. It, it did not do well when it came out. It really didn't. Because uh, originally we saw a trailer. We talked about it on the trailer park, and I wanted to see it and, and kind of see what it was going to yeah, be. Yeah, it, it had a strange release. So first of all, it was supposed to be called Pale Blue Dot, which was a reference to the um, oh, the Cosmos guy. Now I can't remember his name. Um, the famous scientist, he did the Cosmos know. series. Neil deGrasse Tyson? Um, no, the, the one before him. I can't, oh, I can't believe I'm blank. Carl Anyways, Sagan? it was... Carl Sagan, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it was supposed to be called Pale Blue Dot, which was a w- way better title, I think. Um, and it was supposed to something got bungled with its release, or it couldn't really find a, a basically couldn't find a, a good marketing timeline and then release window, and then it just kind of came out, and no one really knew it was out and didn't see it, and yeah, it just kind of missed its release, really. Yeah, and and that's that's really a shame because I think there's some stuff in this movie that kind of doesn't work but at the same time there's a lot of good stuff here um real quick before we move on to formal reviews andy what did you think of the runtime a little long a little long it's just <laughs> over two hours right right but we we were discussing right before the show how we're starting to kind of cringe anytime we see yeah. a two-hour runtime not because i don't like watching long movies but because i generally most movies don't have two hours worth of content it's true. We'll actually find out a little bit more about Andy watching more movies and long movies in the next segment we talk about <laughs> HBO Max. But before we get to that, Andy, would you recommend Lucy in the Sky? 
Uh, this is kind of like yes and no. Yes, with some major caveats. If you are already subscribed to HBO Max or uh, any other kind of HBO service, because that's kind of confusing itself, and you're a big fan of Natalie Portman and John Hamm, and particularly Space, like I'm a big fan of Space, I would definitely recommend it. It it does kind of miss in some places, and it is a little bit too long. It's also very philosophical, at least at the very at least the first half of the movie. So that's not really for everyone. And it is a little slow. So I would say yes, if you're already subscribed to the streaming service. Yeah, I think I would recommend it. The challenge is finding who I would recommend it to. Right. It's like, yeah, it's, it's hit or miss that there's no better way to say what this movie is. Like there are parts that really work great. There are other parts that, just kind of fall flat. And for a two hour picture, I'm kind of glad I watched it. I really am. I don't think I'm going to remember this movie. Like I remember something like annihilation, but there's a lot in here that works. And depending on where Noah Hawley's career goes, I think people might look back at this film as a forbearer of something greater because there's some great work in this movie. There's some great camera work and visuals and solid direction and good acting and good writing. But there's also equivalent moments that just fall flat. And and it's hard to say, hey, go out and watch this movie. It's two hours that's totally worth your time. Because really what it feels like is one hour that's worth your time and one hour that's just kind of weird. So I do like this movie. I wish I could give it a stronger recommendation. Uh, it is currently available to view on HBO Max if you are interested or subscribe to any HBO platform. Because speaking of HBO Max, Andy... We got to talk about HBO. That's uh, right. Yes. Do you do you do you mind telling people about this while I switch things over from Lucy? Yeah, absolutely. Go, go for it. So last Wednesday was the official launch of yet another streaming service, HBO Max, which is kind of strange because HBO already had a streaming service somewhat called HBO Now, uh, which was has been really complicated with uh, cable packages and distributors and all sorts of things. But anyways, they released HBO Max last Wednesday, which in addition to all HBO content, expanded part of the Warner Brothers library. This meant things like uh, DC, Turner Classic Movies, even th- some things like Crunchyroll, and uh, a whole host of Studio Ghibli films. Um, and this is the new <laughs> new hot uh, streaming service uh, uh, for the month. And this is a big contender. And now, you know, this, the, the space is ever more crowded because now we have Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus, Disney Plus, Hulu, Netflix, Amazon Prime, you know, Peacock, CBS, like it just goes, the list goes on and on. Uh, but this is definitely a major player and, and they're bringing some uh, some major hits. And it's got a lot of good things going for it. And it's exactly. got what some you think of your first experience, well. first week. Yes. Uh, I think HBO Max is really, really something big. Uh, I, think, I think it's a genuine contender with things like Netflix and Hulu. And I say that knowing that I didn't say that about Apple Plus because... HBO Max has everything HBO has to offer and also a bunch of the Warner Media Library. And they seem to be curating content that's like (laughs) meant for you to stick around. It's not just the odd film here and there. There are some strange choices, but there's really solid selections like a lot of the Criterion Collection or the Turner Classic Movies Collection. There's things from Cartoon Network and, and things from Crunchyroll and the Studio Ghibli Collection, which are all great films. They have large series available, things like the Lethal Weapon films and the Harry Potter films are featured. Uh, you had a funny experience with the Lord of the Rings movies that I want to talk about <laughs> before we finish talking about this. Those, at That's least the right. big That's three right. are on here. The Hobbit is not, but... There's large chunks of content available here that's like interesting award-winning stuff that has 
cultural value, right? That people remember and enjoy. And that seems to be what they're offering. Whereas on Netflix, you get on and they got, yeah, you know, two of the Harry Potter movies or like Fellowship of the Ring. This has all of them flat out. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's large and it's in charge, Andy. Yeah, HBO Max has always been known for its premium content. I mean, it's not TV, it's HBO. It's better than what you would see on TV. And that's what they're trying to offer here as well. So, of course, their back catalog of great shows like The Sopranos, Game of Thrones, all that. Um, Now, there were some issues with some of their launch titles not being available. Things like the Dark Knight trilogy, um, a couple of other DC films, and uh, The Matrix. So, things like these. And from what I've read is that some of these... properties are still being licensed out and they're hammering out these details and more will be uh, available but it was a little bit disappointing uh, what i had said if if i was not already subscribed to hbo now i would probably be upset if i was a new subscriber but since i'm already subscribed to the service it's not that big of a deal and and th- those things will come eventually and as well as a lot of new um, properties that they're they are wanting to release 30 new i think original either series and in, in film uh just this year and 60 next year yeah which is a big deal like they seem to understand that like not only do you have to keep producing content but you have to have something good on offer a good foundation for people to want to stay i was very disappointed by the lack of like actual titles available uh, that they claimed were going to be available it's it's not like there's a large number of them, but the movies they said were going to be on here that aren't on here is frustrating. Uh, it starts with things like Zack Snyder's Man of Steel that we wanted to watch this week for the show that we didn't yeah, exactly. because <laughs> it's not available. It ends with things like The Matrix. The Matrix is a cool movie, and that's just not on here, and they said it was going to be. And I know those are nitpicky, and that's saying, well, so they didn't have 5% of the films they said were going to be here. So what? Mm. So what? This is a premium service. It's one of the most expensive well, ones. And like you're going to you're going to cheat me on day 1? Come on. Yeah, you're exactly right. It I mean these were I mean those were properties I was excited about to all be in one place cuz that's what's that's what's annoying about Netflix is a lot of times they only ever have like 1 to 2 thirds of the of the Lord of the Rings. They never have all three films on there at the same time. So it was nice to have all of them. And I was looking forward to other things like the Dark Knight trilogy or like you said, to some other DC films. And you're right. You are paying a premium price compared to Netflix's like 10 to 12 bucks, depending on your package. Uh, Apple plus $7. Hulu has an ad free version at I think six, you know, so it at 1499, it is the most, uh, probably it's the priciest one out there. And it, you know, there was talk that this would be like maybe 2025 so i'm happy that it is where it is but i mean if you're charging premium price you better be bringing more content right it's indicative that they're probably going to up that price later too which is you know a bit surprising but we'll see what happens i i want to talk about the navigation a little bit as far as the platform goes it's a little flat you can see in the screenshot here they've got some purple and some black and black is traditionally the hbo color just like black and white and silver so they've injected a little bit of that warner media color to it which is great uh, you get a login screen where you can pick a profile. You can have multiple, just like Netflix or Hulu, right, for everybody in your family. Navigation is a little frustrating because it's kind of hard to find the content you're looking for outside of a direct search. The browsing is not that great. But once you start playing a feature, it works. I've watched a few things on there. It's gone unhinged. Nothing has slowed down. Nothing has stopped. It is crisp 1920, 1080 HD all the time. You know, compared to a lot of services that have started, they were kind of clumsy at the beginning. I mainly think of, like, Disney+. Plus. Uh Things seem to work here. They seem to understand that people are going to be accessing their platform and want to see their content, and it, it functions. Um, what has been surprising... Sorry, go ahead, Andy. Oh, what, what I was going to mention is that uh, I've watched 
HBO Max on both my phone, my computer, and on my X through the Xbox used, you know, and it, it works really smoothly. Like all three apps work smoothly. You know, I started like I watched a little bit of Lord of the Rings on I wanted to grab a screenshot of something, so I watched that on my computer and then, you know, I finished watching it on on the the big screen so yeah it, it's been pretty seam seamless it didn't it wasn't quite as smooth as because it said that it everything would just kind of automatically update and it didn't for me i had to kind of log out and log back into things um, but other people had had really smooth experiences uh I, and i do want to ask about speaking of experiences you spent a little bit more time with this platform than everybody else i know <laughs> yeah that's right you watched the lord of the rings films the first three, right. not including The Hobbit, you watched all of them in like two days. <laughs> yes. Why? why? I, so I'm I'm a real big fan of that series. I'm particularly a big fan of the first one. That's probably my, uh, my favorite one. It's one I've seen the most. It's so well done. And when I look at, at the failures of something like Star Wars or even other things that are, have worked as well, like Avengers, I, I just see it's just such good filmmaking. It's great writing, great uh, production value. You know, it's just like the scenes like when the the ring race are, are chasing uh, Arwen and, and Frodo. Like it just you got these seven horses and the riders are all cloaked and all black. And it just it looks so cool and convincing. And it just and I was like, why haven't why can't we see more more of this? You know? Yeah. No. Um, but but I did put them on, you know, kind of throughout the day. I didn't just sit there and and, and plot myself in front. They were kind of on in the, in the background. But it was. Um, Really good stuff. Uh, do you happen to know if those are extended edition or not? Uh, asking no, they for are, a friend, they, I swear. They, they are. They are our normal theatrical length. Fair. Uh, yeah, I, I think one you watching all of those in like two days definitely says that you like those movies a lot more, more than I thought you would. Uh, so good on you. Secondly, man, what a marathon. And third, HBO Max is pretty cool. Now, now, why? Just real quick to underline, why do you think this is going to last? Where something like H, like Apple Plus was just like a total flash in the pan. Uh, I mean, Apple Plus, first of all, they stole a name from Disney Plus, which, which I think uh, is a bad look. Uh, it's it's a good, it's about entertainment brand recognition. It, you, you know, just like Disney is a big name in entertainment. HBO, huge name in entertainment. Apple, not a name in entertainment, you know. Not yet. And, and they didn't bring any, you know, like the, I couldn't think of anything on there that I just had to, I wasn't even interested in watching trailers for things on Apple Plus because I just wasn't interested in getting the service at all um and and they and they haven't had a, a a good reception they haven't had a lot of users sign up sign up for it mm. <laughs> well i guess we'll watch more stuff on hbo max i do like using it uh i know it's a little pricier than the other platforms so that may not be the best feature about it but as as a movie buff i'm i'm into it so far they've got a really good selection on offer bold cinema at its finest yeah. i did want to mention some drawbacks that it that it has uh, the kind of that things like netflix and hulu do better is that it does not support roku at the moment which i didn't know this but apparently roku is like the most popular kind of in-home device thing to have yeah um, and also it, it also doesn't support the Amazon fire stick, uh, which is another, you know, p avenue that it could. Um, and it's also lacking, uh, I think it's 4k HDR support, which I believe some Netflix tiers. And so there are some technical drawbacks that it's not on par with some of its competitors. Yeah. And also it's definitely a little confusing whether or not you actually have it or not. Um, <laughs> yes. We should mention that. The idea is that if you subscribe to HBO Go or HBO Now, you automatically get up to HBO Max. So if you have an HBO subscription, you should have HBO Max. That is what they've said on paper. 
I should clarify, I have an HBO Now subscription, but my subscription is built through Apple, and things have been a little weird. I'm able to watch it on my Xbox. I have not been able to log in on my phone or on desktop. Maybe I have to download a new app. Maybe it's not working the way it should. I don't know, but I already had one. It's a little strange. Andy, on the other hand, already has it, and he's built straight through HBO, and it works fine, right? Yeah. So... Your mileage may vary, I guess, uh, but if you yeah, have HBO, theoretically, you should be able to get into this, right? Yeah, the distribution has been really complex because, again, some people are billed directly through HBO, some people through a service like you and Apple, but then some people through their cable company, like AT&T or Comcast, which complicates things even further. So some people are going to have to sign up new. Some people are already subscribed. Mm. So if you already have an HBO subscription, give it a shot. You might be surprised. You might already have HBO Max waiting for you, and if not... Consider trying it. Maybe maybe, maybe dump that stupid Apple Plus because nothing cool is happening over there. Although I did hear about a cool series over there. Anyway, maybe someday we'll get to Apple Plus. Either way, HBO Max is hot. We like watching stuff on it. Uh, HBO slide us a sponsorship, uh, sponsorship resume. Yeah, we'll consider it. Checks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for, for our shameless plug here. With that, we should move on to our final film of the episode. I'm going to be taking the summary on this one. The movie is, excuse my poor transition here, da, 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 Raising Arizona. <laughs> So, Raising Arizona is the story of H.I. McDonough, played by young Nicolas Cage in 1987 when this film was made. H.I., uh, or High, as he's referred to in the film, is a convict in Tempe, Arizona, who falls in love with a cop named Ed, played by Helen... Not Hunt. Holly Hunt. Hunt. It is Hunt. Holly Hunter. Sorry, Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter (laughs) plays Ed, a cop who kind of sort of falls in love with High, played by Nicolas Cage. The two of them decide to stop being convicts and stop being criminals and live a life on the straight and narrow. They get themselves a little double wide and they're living life out in Arizona when they discover, unfortunately, they're, they're unable to have children. And that's when they see a headline about a young, uh, Matt, furniture salesman uh, and his yes. wife who recently had five children, quintuplets, uh, Hank Arizona and his wife. So they set out to essentially kidnap uh, one of the children, really, if I had to put a word on it, and try to raise Arizona as one of their own. Uh, the movie is just over 90 minutes. It is the second Coen Brothers film. In fact, uh, Ethan Coen is not actually... A writer, a director on this He's film a proper. Producer, He's a yeah. writer and producer, although apparently he was an uncredited director, according to his brother, Joel Cohen, who properly directed this film. There's a lot in this movie that you can see lays the groundwork for what's to come in Cohen Brothers' film. A lot of stars. John Goodman's in this film, Nicolas Cage. I do want to talk about it. I've been excited to watch this one for a while. I had never seen it. Andy had never seen it. Andy, what did you think of Raising Arizona? So I really enjoyed this for the most part. It, it has a lot of that, what will, would eventually become kind of classic Coen Brothers writing, really interesting characters and set pieces. Reminded me a lot of th- things like uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, uh, particularly. Um, I, and I think it starts really strong uh, and, and kind of similar to Lucy in the Sky, kind of loses its way in the third act uh, and, and kind of trades uh, action for character. I also feel, and this might be controversial, uh, it reminded me a lot of Wes Anderson's film, and then I realized that this came out first, and so when was I feel like now Wes Anderson is just ripped off this movie. His entire style is ripped off from the Coen Brothers. What now. what what film is that? Did it remind you of Bottle Rock? I mean, all all of them. Oh, okay. Yeah, all no, I, mean, I definitely <laughs> felt the same way. I was like, there's a lot of Wes Anderson in this movie, so that was strange. Yeah. 
Uh, I I actually like this movie a lot as well. It's definitely a little film school because they're they, the Coen brothers were younger when they were making this, and they hadn't made movies that you know now. They hadn't made The Big Lebowski. They hadn't made. Oh God! Oh brother, we're out though. They hadn't made uh, bu- no bus- country for old. Man. Yes, Buster <laughs> Scruggs. Yeah, they hadn't done any of that stuff. This was the beginning of what they were doing. This was their second feature film, and it is amateur, but in the best way. In the same way, I love Evil Dead for being amateur, and this actually borrows a couple of the very same filmmaking techniques. It is visually smart because there's a lot in here that I think stands out with their low budget and the acting is pretty solid. Ultimately, I think it's a lot of fun. So let's jump right into it. Uh, Andy, I think the best place to start talking about this movie is probably the plot. Then let's move on uh-huh. to character if we can swing it. And then we need to get into visuals because that stuff is whack. It's not a whole lot of soundtrack <laughs> to be heard. So to get into the plot a little bit, H.I. Uh, McDonough is an ex-convict who just can't just cannot get into life, man. Like, he just keeps going back to jail. It's, it's, it's kind of the running gag at the beginning of the film. We'll get out of jail and just immediately go rob the same convenience store and go right <laughs> back into jail because it's the only life he knows. He doesn't know how to get get by in the real world. He knows how to steal things and sit in prison. That's really kind of his thing. But he, he's got this woman who's taking his photo at the, at, at the police station, this cop, who he's all about named Ed, right? Played by Holly Hunter. And, and the two of them are smitten, which is weird because I wouldn't really get that out of Holly Hunter's performance, but we'll get to performances in a minute. A minute. Apparently, the two of them are crazy about each other, so they sure, decide sure. To, to both leave the leave the police force and quit quit stealing things and and just live you know live live life the way they should. And and they get a double wide and they're doing their thing, and then they discover they can't have kids, which which Holly Hunter's character Ed is incredibly upset about, and that spurns them to decide to steal a child rather than try to adopt because of. High's convict record, he can't can't adopt kids. They decide they're just going to steal one, uh, which is a, a foolhardy plan. But these are foolhardy characters. I can see why you said this reminds you a lot of like a Wes Anderson picture because this kind of surrealist comedy just rides over everything that happens in here. And and as soon as they steal these kids, we get the title card for the f- kid. We get the title card for the film, and then everything starts to come off the rails from there. We get a couple of other cons who who ex cons who who. Uh, a high nose from jail who sneak out and decide to stay with the two of them. There's not really anything to do about it. You get uh, a manhunt looking for this child or a child hunt, I should say, uh, involving not only local police, but also federal agents and a biker <laughs> who looks like, like he the fell. Terminator. Yeah. who looks like he fell right out of some kind of slasher flick. You get goofy explosions and a wacky soundtrack and crazy shootouts in grocery stores this movie really takes some strange turns and it's 90 minutes and it's if anything entertaining i think right yeah absolutely i i really like how this film starts the way our characters are introduced like we we get a lot of cuts with uh with high mc is it mcdonough yeah uh with him like you said robbing places going to jail when and again he nick cage young nick cage uh, voice does the voiceover for the whole thing and we meet Ed um, and it just a lot of happens in the first uh, kind of the introduction of everyone and I really like I think that's probably my my favorite part because it's 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 quick it's clever it's it's really funny um, and before we kind of settle into our our, our plot of th- uh, this kind of odd couple who can't conceive a child so they come up with a scheme to steal a baby. <laughs> Yeah, uh, they've they've the characters are really, like I said, a little odd. Uh, we've got Nick Cage playing playing High McDonough, who I think I've said that five times since we started this review. But I love Nick Cage. So I'm sorry. Uh, he plays this like 
I mean, obviously a protagonist who's, who's a little misdirected, I think, if it wasn't indicative by his spree of crimes that seem to keep landing him in jail. Uh, he's also a bit of like a Looney Tunes character. He's a bit of a Bugs Bunny, really, if I had to align him with any, like other pop culture figure because he seemingly can't be hurt or injured. Like every fight he gets in and every shootout he gets in, he's completely fine. Uh, he doesn't seem to have a whole lot of like feelings, I guess he's not a particularly sensitive individual and he kind of just goes with what he thinks he should do next. He, he's, he reminds me of the big Lebowski a little bit, the dude, right? Which is another Coen yeah. Brothers film. You've also got Holly Hunter who plays Ed, who is, cold i think i think she's supposed to be playing a cop and that's kind of the whole deal they're supposed to be very stern but emotion doesn't really come through unless she's having some kind of breakdown and which is where she <laughs> way overdoes it uh you've got john goodman playing an ex-con who's running around with them who is definitely younger and is not really coming to himself as, as far as acting is concerned but still pops on the screen you've got a couple other kind of surprising performances and some coen brothers classics that appear in here francis mcdormand has a very small part and she's honestly better than Holly Hunter in my humble opinion. Uh, it's, it's really something to see how these characters were kind of directed because they're so goofy and they play in this really odd comedy style. The Coen brothers hadn't really figured out yet. Obviously they're there now, but they, they, they still land all right. It's still decent for a 90 minute picture. It doesn't, doesn't bother you too much. I don't think. Yeah. It's this movie's all about potential. I think is what we would, we would then come to see great things from them. Uh, I, I really like Tolly Hunter, but it's funny because I feel like she does like the aggressive Southern thing is like her stick. Like yeah. she, she plays that character in everything. Cause I've seen her in things much more recent where she, you know, she's in her sixties now. Um, where she's still doing that like hard nose Southern gal, uh, kind of thing but yeah it, but she also like you said when she does she does a really good breakdown or when she gets angry and starts yelling um it, it's some really good stuff and i i didn't realize who it was at first because again everyone in this movie is so young this is 33 years ago um uh, same thing with john goodman i didn't recognize him initially either uh and i was like wow that's fantastic and these are people that we would you know come to see in a lot of their their films uh like uh, francis mcdormand of course uh, yeah it was a star in fargo yeah and, and you can start to see kind of the beginnings of a lot of these great actors. It reminds me of something like, uh, I don't know, The Breakfast like the Club? Out, yeah, or the like Outsiders. A, right, yeah, a movie where like they didn't really have a whole lot as far as casting is concerned, but they managed to just get some great people and put out a great film that led them to bigger careers. Uh, I do want to talk about the comedy a little bit and the visual style. Um, which is really expressed through that. The writing, I think, is good as far as the dialogue is concerned. It's funny, it's expressive, but these characters are Southern and, and kind of down-to-earth and a little simple that way, so it's not too expressive. The visual style, however, though, man, this movie is chock-full of, like, crash zooms and, like, whip pans and all kinds of, like, rolling dollies and, like, action. There's a shot right out of Evil Dead where the camera is, like, flying across the ground and goes up a ladder into a window at one point uh, to find the missing Arizona child that our characters have stolen. And it's, you can tell it's, it's totally film school. All they did was take a camera and strap it to a two by four and run with it along the ground. And it's, it's right out of evil dead and it's simple, but it works. They've also got these huge, big textures in this movie. Uh, a fine example is the Arizona kids. Their nursery is all these wacky patterns and crazy colors that just pop at you. And, and the inside of the double wide trailer where our main characters live is the same kind of thing. Weird, fake bricks on the walls and linoleum and all kinds of things going on. And maybe that was a style for 87, but what it makes it do is feel a little bit more 
fake, I guess. Surreal is the term I'm really looking for, but I'm trying to find an, an, an idiom for it. And and it makes everything feel goofy in a way that, again, reminds me of something like Looney Tunes. Like, it just pops in a way visually that you kind of can't help but take not take seriously. And for a mm-hmm. subject that's pretty serious, a kidnapping, um, it actually works pretty well. Yeah, I... I Sorry, I'm trying to say it at once. Um, the the camera work is, is really interesting, and again, there's a lot of real funny and and subtle gags in in this. Like one of the things that just made me chuckle is you know we meet uh, Nathan Arizona Senior and his lovely wife in their big big home. He's a furniture baron, and you know they're they're just sitting at home reading, and he has a liquor cart just like parked next to him and he's like he's never far from a drink and it's one of these things it's never addressed it's never pointed out but it's just one of these really kind of clever uh funny things but yeah the style is i mean it's definitely from the 80s this is an an 80s film but it, it has really smart writing and really smart the way it kind of moves from scene to scene is, is really indicative of, of like of the writing that we would come to know from them over many films. It's true. Uh, I do want to talk about a couple of the uh, kind of outstanding characters, and we don't have a lot of time. I do need to wrap this show up, but before I... I don't know why people listening need to hear that, but the <laughs> point is, um, you really get some outstanding kind of existentialism, which you would not expect in a movie like this, but I think it's, again, something we know the Coen brothers to do now. Uh, High has these dreams, these visions of this... Knight Rider, this man on a bicycle, this big burly guy, yeah, who Andy said earlier looks like something out of the Terminator, who's coming for him. He's hunting him after he steals this after he steals this kid. And that's exactly what's happening. There is actually a guy hunting them on a bike. It's exactly who he's imagining. Now how he's having these dreams, how he's having this kind of existential moment is not made clear at all and is never really addressed. But he's right. There there is something following them. And it, the character just kind of drifts in out of nowhere. He he's he is exactly Anton Chigger from No No Country Chigger yes. from No Country for Old Men. Is the same kind of thing. Just a dude from nowhere who is like this force for evil who just shows up and is is here to do wrong or in this case right because the guy is trying to get the kid back from <laughs> from the people who kidnapped him the the bad guys and this movie also plays to that. Our characters are the bad guys in this movie. They are not heroes. They are not good people. They are bad, but you still follow them and you still enjoy watching the experience around them. It's, it's, it's interesting that way. Yeah. It's interesting that you said no country for old men, because I thought the same thing. I was like, maybe no country for old men. It's the more grown up version of raising Arizona. Cause you have a, a guy, um, chasing another guy and kind of this wife who doesn't approve of the whole thing. And it, it's similar to, um, no, 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 no country. Um, Oh brother, where art that where George Clooney also has a very strained relationship with his wife. Is that, is his wife played by Holly Hunter? I'm going to look that up real quick. I don't actually know. Yeah. Are you looking it up right now? Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah that, sorry. Cue, cue Zach. Cue Zach. Yeah. Go ahead, Zach. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the Coen brothers, like I said, uh, really have this kind of emergent style, not only in presentation of philosophy in their film and dialogue and even using the same actors, but in, in just kind of overall feeling like when you watch a Coen brothers film, you feel like you're watching something that's entirely your own, its own in the same way. Andy said at the beginning, in a lot of ways, this feels like Wes Anderson. I think that's for two reasons. One, because there's a lot of straight on shots like this one point perspective, which he's a huge fan of. It's just like you're watching a play or something, but two, because it's got its own feeling and its own style. And even though it's old and even though it's from 87, like you watch this and it feels like a, a Coen Brothers film in some weird way or Wes Anderson mm-hmm. film. I guess they were still working that out. 
Right. And, and sorry, I did look that up. Holly Hunter does, in fact, play George Clooney's wife in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? So there's this theme of kind of uh, mixed marriages where you have uh, one irresponsible person with uh, a very responsible woman. <laughs> right. Well, uh, I think we've talked a lot about directing, visual style, comedy. I don't think we've done a great job of, of really getting into what this film is. I'm sure we could do an episode that's just about this movie if we really wanted to. Um, but for what it's worth, I think we've taken a good cursory glance at what this movie is doing. Andy, any other thoughts for recommendations? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Raising Arizona? Yeah, absolutely. It's great to look back at a great director's early work. And again, a lot of these actors in their their youth before they were really big names um it's funny it, it has an interesting premise it has a lot of style uh, and, and again it doesn't it's not quite as deep as some other things that they would eventually do and in the third act it kind of trades a lot of substance for more action but it's it's still it's entertaining it's not too long it's just a little over 90 minutes uh so yeah definitely recommend yeah i think i'd recommend it as well uh, it's a lot of fun and it's like i said it's a little it's a little amateur, but if you appreciate the Coen brothers and you've seen even a couple of their films in passing and you like a good kind of surrealist comedy, I think you're going to love this. And if the word surrealist kind of spooks you a little bit, go check it out. I'm telling you, it's it's a lot better than you think. Uh, it's available on HBO Max. Of course, we just talked about that, and that's also where we watched Lucy in the Sky. So if you have HBO, feel free to join us and let us know what you thought of this movie. And if you want to know, if you want to, let me, hold on, I could save this. If you want to let us know what you thought of this movie, there it is, you can reach us on social media. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on YouTube, Instagram. You can check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com, and you can email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com to let us know what you thought of Raising Arizona or let us know what you thought of Lucy in the Sky or if you have HBO Max or what the deal is with the new Sonic movie and Ryan Gosling playing the Wolfman <laughs> or anything that's going on in this episode. We love reading feedback and we're excited to hear from you. Andy, what are we watching next week? So, uh, th there's a new Netflix release coming out this Friday called The Last Days of American Crime. Uh, do you have a byline for this? Uh, I don't, actually. I wish I did. <laughs> okay. uh, so well, I'm, I'm going to be just as surprised as you are. Uh, okay. Um, the second film that we're going to do is one of my personal longtime favorites, Old Boy, uh, from director Chan Wook Park, a South Korean film, came out in 2003. Um, and I don't want to say anything about it because Zach hasn't seen it yet and, and not even a description. So we'll talk about it Netflix, uh, next week. Netflix. We'll talk about it next week. Um, and we'll have a lot to say. It's one it, of my favorite directors. I know. I'm excited to watch it. I know a little bit about it because of the internet, but I think it'll still be a good time. If you enjoyed the show today and you want to support us and, and, and you want to show how much you appreciate us doing this goofy little show we do, you can like us on Facebook. You can follow us over there. You can follow us on social media, but the biggest thing you can do is just subscribe. Subscribe to the show to get new episodes every single week straight to your phone so you can keep up with new movies and you can save yourself a little bit of time, maybe skip at things that don't work, and maybe find out some things you might enjoy. So, with that being said thank you for listening to off script the home of bold cinema i'm zach lewis and i'm dr draper thanks for listening